TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill. And this week, I am without George. We are once again playing Where in the World is George Bryant. He is, I believe, in Texas today, traveling around, and so wasn't able to join us on this particular interview, but we'll welcome him back next week, no doubt. But in the absence of George, I've got a very special guest come and join us. Um, She is the other half of a guest we had only just a few weeks ago on the show, and uh, and her name is Kelly Ma. She's a mum of three, living in the country. She's a part-time veterinarian and full-time advocate of good health. She's passionate about children's health, including diet, movement, and mindfulness, all of which we'll talk about today. She's a competitive swimmer and coach, and likes mountain biking, running trails, all fueled on a paleo diet. She's also a qualified yoga teacher, if that wasn't enough, and she's completing graduate studies in psychology. She believes good health is a product of mind, body, and gut. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you, Brett. Great to be here. That's great. I've got so many questions I want to ask you because there's so many different facets to what you do. It's uh, it's wonderful and, and we're going to delve into all of it today, but let's start from the start. What made you get passionate about becoming a veterinarian, first of all, because it seems like that was the first one to come along. So what made you so passionate about animals? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a common question, that one, and it probably isn't actually a passion for animals. It's... Um, it came mostly just for a passion for science and an interest in, in health and medicine and, and um, yeah, veterinary sort of came from that. Of course, I yeah, did enjoy my pets and, and animals, but, yeah, so mostly just a curiosity. Um, well, and Where did that curiosity come from then? Was it more around science, health and medicine as opposed to veterinary? Like what, what made you curious about science? What made you curious about health? And, and how did you end up then becoming a vet as opposed to perhaps – a doctor, a naturopath, a chiropractor, whatever else you could have become? Uh, so my mum's a pharmacist, so that's probably where my mm-hmm. scientific interest came from and she um, always kept us very curious as kids and spending time in the pharmacy um, uh, back when they used to compound a lot of a lot of medication. So that sort of probably sparked my interest. Um, uh, health, you know, we were always pretty interested in health. Uh, so, yeah, that side of it. And... Yeah, honestly, I think the whole not doing medicine was a bit of a rebel in me. I had to be a bit different than <laughs> what people expected. So I think that's partly what drove the, the veterinary side. So, yeah. That, that sounds a little bit familiar. That does. Uh, <laughs> getting into chiropractic as opposed to medicine, there was probably a little bit of that with me as well, I reckon. So, um, you know, you guys are very passionate about your health and wellness, obviously very focused on your paleo diet. You're both very active. Um, what was it that drew you towards this, uh, I guess, more primal paleo way of life? Yeah, that's um, it's it's interesting because yeah, while I grew up in a family who was very interested in health, um, we were very active and and quite sporty. Um, we were very much that um, low fat, high sugar style diet because well, they thought they were doing the right thing at the time. Um, so yeah, that's certainly the way we grew up. But I just I I knew it wasn't right. It didn't feel right to me. It didn't work in my body. I knew I didn't compete well when I carb-loaded, all of the things that we were being told 
didn't sit with me and didn't work for me. Um, so there was definitely that there. And so as I started to hear more, and, and probably the biggest trigger for me was listening to a, a talk from Peter Bruckner. I don't know if you've ever heard him speak. Um, um, and he's the doctor for the, well, I'm not sure if he still is. He was the doctor for the uh, Adelaide cricket, sorry, the Australian cricket team uh, yeah. at the time. And, and he's a big advocate of Tim Noakes and what he's doing. And, and so I thought, you know, this is a really intelligent man and, and um, what he's saying really makes sense and it hit home to me. Um, yeah, and so that's probably the initial thing that sparked, sparked investigating. And he's very much low-carb um, as opposed to paleo, but, um, yeah, that sort of got the curiosity going. So tell me a little bit about your career swimming, um, and particularly, I guess, I'm interested in this. Uh, you know, you said the carb loading wasn't really working for you, so... What were you noticing? Was it more in terms of your performance? Was it your energy? Was it your health? Were you getting sick? What was it you were noticing when you were trying to take, I guess, the more conventional approach um, to fueling yourself for that swimming? Uh, yeah, probably. No, I was lucky in that I hadn't had a lot of health issues, um, but definitely sluggish and you'd hold fluid. Um, and we were sprinting, you know, so it was an all-out sprint. You wanted to be in, in optimum um condition you didn't really need those energy reserves but we were still told to do it and that that was promoted to us so um and and certainly when you are doing such a short race you you sort of had an optimum body weight um composition that that you performed your best and and certainly whenever there was a a lot of carbohydrates and particularly a lot of sugar in it yeah i, I never felt like i got to that optimum place yeah, the the old wheat belly is probably not ideal for, well, I was going to say aerodynamics. It's not aerodynamics. What's it called when it's in the water? Hydrodynamics, perhaps? Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, so obviously then you, you decided at some stage to make a change. You'd listen to this uh, Aussie swimming um, doctor uh, who'd suggested that maybe that this more paleo or particularly this lower carb approach might make a difference. So, how did you start out? Where, where did you? Uh, what did you start out eating? Um, who were you listening to and, and reading at the at the early stages when you made those changes? And what did you notice? Yeah, so started with um, listening to this Dr. Brockner, who directed you towards what Tim Noakes is doing, which is your banting, your, your very low carb style. So started out with that. Um, and, yeah, definitely noticed a lot of changes in that um, obviously a bit of carb flu at the start when you're adapting. Um, but, yeah, it started to feel really good. Um, but something didn't sit right with me in terms of knowing about, you know, needing fibre and, and micronutrients and gut health. It was a little too lean towards um, that high-fat food without looking at the quality of the food. Yeah. Um, and so for yeah, so I started to yeah listen more and investigate more into the paleo side of it because I felt that um, you know if we're going to be eating higher fat foods and and getting in more calories um, that way, it needed to be good quality food and and it should be high in micronutrients. Which when you're only paying attention to the macros, um, you don't mm -hmm. tend to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess then you've switched from uh, perhaps more of a low-fat diet to more of a paleo diet. Uh, and what did you notice in making that switch? I mean, obviously, it sounds like you, you felt better about it uh, from getting those macronutrients in. But did you notice any additional changes in terms of health or performance from making that switch? 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, just, um, I mean, you just feel amazing and you don't get sick and you, yeah, you know, your energy levels are constant and you don't slump and you, your skin's great and you, everything just falls into place. So, yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> were you at this stage uh, a veterinarian already or did that come later? Yes. You yeah, were. no. And this is a, yeah, yeah. So, so tell us about. I mean, your studies in veterinary science. Uh, I'm guessing were quite, um, you know, sort of medical, medically oriented in nature. Um, and so, as a result of that, you know, the advice you were taught to give around um, treatment and management of animals and their diets and all of those sort of things would not necessarily have correlated with this new, uh, I guess, paleo approach you'd taken. Um, in terms of your own diet, you know, did, did you see a bit of a conflict there or, or was it that the, uh, you were already taking those sort of approaches in your veterinary science career? Um, it's interesting because it's probably a bit of both. Um, certainly, you know, when you, you're taught about um, treating and dealing with wild animals, it's all very much returning to nature and nature states. Mm-hmm. Um, but then with our pets, yeah, it's approached in a totally different way. So absolutely, I started to look at things in a new light, and um, yeah, a lot of the a lot of things started to fall together and make sense. And 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 what you were seeing, um, and it, you know, then there's still a lot of conflict out there into what's right and what's wrong. So you know, I tend to um, yeah observe a lot, but it's um, it's very interesting because our animals really are just a reflection of the society they're in. We're seeing all the same problems. So, oh, It is fascinating. And I might have to ask you a couple of questions after because we've had some of these discussions around our own home with our pets as well. But yep. um, I find it interesting what you just said, that there is that uh, divergence in opinion of, of how to deal with um, animal, wild animals as opposed to domesticated animals. And uh, how was that explained to you as you went through your veterinary career? Um, and was there always an element of you that thought, that doesn't quite make sense, that, that we're treating the wild animals so differently to the domesticated animals? Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't explained. It wasn't explained. There, there's some discussion around perhaps evolutionary changes, and there's been noted some mild evolutionary changes in the gut mm. systems of um, say pet dogs versus versus wild um, canines, but um, yeah, I mean, you imagine that we fed um, animals at at the zoo from from a packet, there'd be outrage. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's considered to be the best option for for your pet. It's um, yeah, it, this it almost feels like common sense falls by the wayside sometimes. So yeah, well. You, you may or may not know, but we've got a, a little miniature horse um, at our house now. And so we've been having a lot of these discussions around our little horse because she's in the paddock and she eats grass. And we think yes. that's great. And then, yep. you know, her, her paddock is getting quite low. So I did notice on Instagram today, Steffi's let her out into the into the backyard and she's eating the grass there or else we take her around the block. But, but many people have told us that that's not enough, that a horse can't survive on grass, that we need to supplement her feed with a whole range of things from, you know, to grains, to hay, to molasses, to all sorts of things that need to be supplemented with. And, and at the same time, we've had these discussions around footwear for our horse that, that, you know, some people suggest that footwear is necessary. Other people suggest footwear isn't necessary. But then if you don't have footwear, then they need to have their hooves um, filed back. Um, and that, you know, there's no way around that, that that's just what has to happen, which 
none of that seems to make sense to me from an evolutionary perspective. You know, it's, it seems to me that it would be natural to for the horse to walk around, perhaps on some surfaces that would naturally blunt the hooves as opposed to filing them back. You know, it, it's it's just a fascinating sort of snapshot for me of, of you know, the divergence of opinions in terms of, I guess, taking a more natural primitive, a primitive approach or primal approach to uh, animals and to ourselves as opposed to, I guess, the, the modern conventional wisdom around that. I mean, I'm not even sure if I've got a question here. I'm not sure where I'm going, but, but is, <laughs> is that what you find in terms of your career? There, there is a real sort of divergence there where this conventional wisdom doesn't necessarily make sense from a more evolutionary perspective? Absolutely, absolutely. It, um, and it's reactive. It's reactive um, rather mm. than preventative what we're doing. So, you know, the horses have problems with their feet because of carbohydrates in their diet, yes. yeah. um, particularly ponies and small horses. You've got to be so careful with them. Um, so a lot of the foot treatment is because of the lifestyle. And so, you know, yeah, we're just piling on these reactive treatments or um, dealing with problems. Same thing with um, dental health in, in your dogs. Um, there's so many people saying we didn't used to get dentals done on our dogs and, well, rather than, you know, suggest that we're doing dentals that are unneeded, it's more that what are we doing differently that means their teeth are un- unhealthy these days. So, it, um, yeah, it's... It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's it's happening. <laughs> yeah, I like this, Kelly. I like this because you're, you're talking my language here because, you know, my approach with our horse is to say, well, let's just let it eat the grass. And then yeah. if sometimes the grass gets a little bit low at certain times of the year, then maybe the horse will just get a little bit leaner. And maybe that's natural that, you know, at certain times of year it leans out, at certain times of year it fattens up. And, and that kind of makes sense. It's, it's not starving. It's not skin and bones. It has food there. It's not fading away. That maybe that's a natural thing to happen as well. And, the, and then the, the flow on from that is to say, well, okay, if its hooves do naturally grow and the natural way for them to uh, stay under control is that the horse walks around on rougher surfaces and rocks and gravel and, and it naturally grinds itself down, then my yep. solution to that is to say, hey, let's take our pony for a walk around the block. It can walk on the bitumen a little bit. It will naturally wear itself down a little bit and that makes more sense to me than us coming in and having to file it down. Am I being negligent or am I kind of on the right wavelength here? I like your approach, so... <laughs> That's what that's all I'll say. <laughs> all right, all right, good, good. I feel I feel better about that. And you know, th- this topic is such a a big topic at the moment, obviously, because people will have seen. Um, you know, there's been in the media. Pete Evans is releasing his new food for animals, um, yes. and so it started a lot of conversations around. Well, what is the right food for animals? Because you know, I think dogs are probably one of the you know, dogs. Cats are probably the most common ones that we see in our households and yeah. uh, and when you look at the ingredients in the dog and cat food that you get from the shops um it's quite shocking you know it, it really is uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense once again from an evolutionary perspective for a dog for example to eat a food that is very high in grains um yeah. so how have we gotten to this stage uh with the dog food uh, and what is a dog's natural diet it's I, I think it's convenience that we've got into this place and, and the fact that people's pets have really become part of the family, whereas 
a few generations ago, they were very much in the backyard and they were, you know, they were tossed the bones and the scraps and the, there wouldn't have been much carbohydrate in there um, at all. So, yeah, a natural diet for a dog is higher in carbohydrate than an obligate carnivore like a cat, which mm. is, um, you know, a, largely a meat eater. But dogs really should be having somewhere up to about 70% of their meat to be diet. And if you look at those dog foods, you're down around 30% a lot of the time. Mm. So, so yeah, it's missing that um, part of it. But but also just the um, the way it's presented, I mean, dehydrated and, and, you know, compared to eating some fresh meat, there's it's such a stark contrast as well. So you lose the quality in the protein, the, the heat treatment, the way they – they um they prepare that food it's um yeah i mean it, it's equivalent of us eating from a packet and so yeah. you've you've said there if i got this right that, that a dog's diet should be at about 70 percent meat and i guess the rest of that is fruits and vegetables what percentage are we talking at for cats uh cats is up to about 90 percent yeah okay yeah. so dogs um sort of 50 to 70 percent is uh and, and your average cat food that you get from the shops, what percentage of fat would, or sorry, of uh, animal protein would that be? It is higher. Um, I think they're up around about fifty percent. So you'll find a lot of people who have a dog and a cat. The dog will go and eat the cat food, and, and <laughs> for good reason. So it's quite a common thing. People just come in and say, "My dog will only eat cat food." So <laughs> that's hilarious. So that might be a good idea. It might be actually feeding your dog the cat food might be a better ratio for the dog than the dog food. Yeah, possibly. It's um, yeah, it's well, and the meat diet as well would have contained a lot of offal. So mm. we, we've got to count that in there, and it would have contained a lot of bone. And so that's where they balance the calcium and the phosphorus from the meat. So so meat is on its own is quite high in phosphorus, but but they would have ingested quite an amount of calcium as well. So yeah, and I find that interesting too. So I would assume that. What you buy in terms of the commercially available dog and cat food probably does already contain bone and offal purely because that's probably cheaper for them. Is that the case, or is that not always the case? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's often it's got a lot. Well, they refer to it as meat meal in it. But mm. if you actually read a dog food packet, most of the protein in it is coming from a lentil, mm. um, which is often not addressed. I mean. Uh, they they often discuss the concerns in vegetarian and vegan diets in that the quality of the protein is is not what you'd get from meat, and yet these companies and the way they hide it is so they'll have meat first on the list of ingredients, but that was fresh meat, um, and then they may have peas second or third down, and they were dried. So if you put them in a dry weight equivalent, the peas are actually the major source of protein. So it's it's yeah. very far from, from, yeah, a natural dog's diet. Okay. And so we've now seen, I guess, the proliferation um, in the supermarkets. It seems really noticeable, even just in the last six months, I reckon, that there's a lot more um, wheat-free and even grain-free options in the in the dog and the cat food aisle, which I think is fascinating. Um, are these good options or, or are they – I mean, I know that I've certainly seen ones there that weren't uh, they didn't have lentils in them. They seem to be predominantly meat and vegetables as, uh, and maybe uh, some rice. It seemed to be a more common one if they were going to have grains in there, but others being grain-free. Uh, are these a better option? Are they 
a good option or are they just a better option? I do think they're better. They're often still quite high in carbohydrate. It depends what you're trying to achieve. If you're dealing with obesity, I mean, your carbohydrate is something you want to be looking at. Um, but, yeah, in terms of uh, autoimmunity, which we're seeing a lot of the of autoimmune diseases, different ones in animals, but we're seeing the same sort of rise in autoimmune conditions. Um, yeah, absolutely, getting the, the grains out is a nice place to start. Okay, great. And so then if we look at, if that's a good option, then in terms of the best option, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Pete, he's, uh, he's got his new food out. I'm sure that I haven't actually looked at the ingredients on that yet, but I know Pete being Pete, they, I'm sure they are very good. Um, but if you were to try and recreate that at home, um, what, what would that look like and, and how practical is that? How much time are we talking? How much money are we talking in order to be able to create a, a healthy uh, food for your animals at home? This is the biggest problem really is that so way back when when your dogs were just out in the backyard um, feeding, being fed the scraps, there, there were issues with deficiencies and all sorts of things that, that would arise. So so that sort of brought in this, this fear of the dog's diet needing to mm. be balanced and, and we must balance it. And so there is a huge fear out there that if we don't feed them the commercial feed, it's not balanced and we could bring in these nutritional diseases. Um, and so, and then equally we see yeah, problems with meat handling and, and food poisoning and, and conditions like that. So there's, there's a lot of fear around not feeding a commercial food. Mm. Um, and, and then, yeah, I mean, double handling of food. So there's your raw diets that some companies have been preparing for a while. You know, that the fact that that was prepared elsewhere and packaged, if you, you've, your chance of having food poisoning and so forth does go up with, with all of that. Um, yeah, so doing it at home is ideal. Using meat that's prepared for people with better standards is ideal. You can cook if you are concerned about food poisoning. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's hard work. So, yeah, it's, it's time-consuming and, and we're dealing with society where people don't have a lot of time, spare time. Um, so, yeah, it's a big decision for people where they're going to go and what they're going to do and, and um, you know, where they're prepared to have the time and effort. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess this then, I guess, almost needs to come into the decision of, whether when we're getting pets, doesn't it? I mean, uh, in terms of you know, to what standard do we want to feed our pets? To what standard do we want their diet to be? And and to what degree are we willing to go that extra mile to um, to feed them? You know, I know for for our my pets at home, you know, I would love to make all of their food at home, and I think that would be great to be able to do that for our dog. Uh, but I don't do that, you know, purely based on a time factor um, that, that I just don't have the time to commit to making, you know, I have enough trouble getting, you know, myself and the family and the kids and those sort of things. Um, and so we do take the option of getting, you know, the best grain-free option we can find at the supermarket and, and doing it in that way. But I guess, you know, do you think that this needs to be that, that extra, perhaps that extra expense or that extra time, depending on which way you want to go, needs to start coming into this equation when we just, we try and decide whether or not we are ready, you know, from a time and a financial perspective to take on a pet? Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it really comes down to the individual. And, and I'll deal that way with my clients, you know, what, what are they prepared to do? What do they want from this? And some people know, you know, I oh, know I'm not doing the, 
the best, but this is this is what we've got available. And and um, you know, if we do have to have teeth removed because of that choice, then then you know we can accept that. And yeah, that's that's something that that has to be done because yeah, cost is a huge factor as well. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I guess you know, from our perspective, we we know that we've you know we've rescued our little puppy from a you know from well, I think we're his fourth home, and yeah. uh, and you know we think we're probably doing a better job than perhaps what he'd had done previously, and so you know that sort of comes into the equation as well of sort of figuring out well uh, you know would he be better off if we didn't have him or better off if we do have him, and you know all those questions come into it. But um, I guess moving forward from that. Um, you know, talking about some of the other little people in our home, we've spoken about our little furry friends, but um, you've obviously got a family of five as well. And, yeah. and so I'd love to talk to you a little bit about bringing um, this paleo lifestyle into your home for your kids too. So um, what tips have you got for the mums and dads out there who are wanting to um, introduce their kids to a paleo lifestyle? You know, were your kids paleo right from the start or has that been integrated as you've gone along? Only my youngest. And, and I will say easiest because that's that's all he knows that's that's normal for him yeah yeah so definitely easier (laughs) that way than to to bring it in um yeah you know a lot of a lot of people um seem really concerned about the cost and the time of of um doing paleo for the whole family but um i it, it over time, you develop strategies and, and ways for ways for dealing with it. But um, give us a couple know, of your best tips for for getting the uh, you know for finding a cheap ways to feed the family paleo, Kelly. Because I know there's mums and dads out there who would love to hear a couple of those. My best tip would be when you do your vegetable shop, I'd probably buy three times as much as what you'd think you would normally buy. Um, and whenever you're cooking them cook two or three times as much. So there's always something there cooked, ready to go. You can put a little bit in the lunchbox. You've got leftovers, you know, find some key recipes that they love that you can knock together quite quickly. Um, Yeah, and just, you know, raw fruit and veg, raw veggies that, you know, such an easy snack and fill up their lunchbox with it and and they're never hungry. It's so true, I think, as a way of saving time and money, if you can transition the snack foods to be fruits and vegetables, even though it seems like you're spending a lot when you're buying all those fruits and vegetables, they are so much cheaper than the packaged snack foods and so much more portable and so much easier. Um, I, I think that's a really great tip for doing that and um, yeah, you are also studying psychology just because obviously you're a bit bored and had a lot of time on your hands, Kelly. So um, I'd love to hear from, a, from the psychology perspective, like have you got some insights for, for people in terms of getting their family on board in terms of you know, adopting a more a healthier way of life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you're doing it for yourself, if the whole family's not on board, it's so much harder. You know, you need to, you need to have that supportive environment to make any, any sort of big changes. So you'd certainly want to be sitting down and discussing how and why you're doing this and, and um, that, you know, that you need everyone's support um, in order to achieve it. And, and kids are just so interested, though they mm-hmm. they want to do the right thing, and they, once you explain what we're doing and and how it's going to help them, they're just so keen to be a part of what's going on. Yeah, it's so true. I think if you can tap into that natural curiosity of your kids, you know, we've we've been really lucky in the last uh, few weeks where 
Uh, we were able to take Tom and Charlotte along to a talk by Cindy O'Meara here in Adelaide, which was wonderful. And, yeah. uh, and you know, Charlotte's still probably a little bit young, but my, my nine-year-old Tom was just fascinated by it and absolutely got into it and was just riveted with the information she was sharing. And then uh, last week we sat down and we all watched Pete Evans's new movie, The Magic Pill, because um, that's now on Netflix. And, and both of them, it was really interesting, even Charlotte being a little bit younger at seven, she was much more able to engage with the movie because of the, I guess, because that's a, you know, a medium she's more used to and the visual representation and the, you know, I guess the snappiness of it where it's, you know, a bit more punchy, um, where, you know, both of them were really able to engage with that and it's been fascinating to see um, how much that has impacted upon them and, and how they've taken snippets from that and I've heard them sharing it with their friends, their teachers, their grandparents, you know, um, it, it really is that curiosity that kids have and I guess that um, that lack of stuff, you know, like, like they, they don't have, they haven't been taught, um, you know, it, it's almost like they're a fresh canvas sometimes, you know, yeah. that they haven't got uh, lots of conditioning they need to undo, um, which is fantastic in terms of them being able to really absorb um, some of these new concepts as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we also love the sugar film for that too. You know, that's yes. really engaging for kids and a great place to start, um, just to get them thinking about what they're doing. And and um, I mean, yeah, they've got such a fascination with marketing and 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 packaged food that that drives kids to to get them sort of curious about whether or not that means it's it's healthy for them. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I love it. Hey, that sugar film is that on Netflix? Do you know? Oh, I'm gonna, it should be. I'm going to have to check that. We might have to try and get that one to the kids as well. Well, I look, mean, um, it should be mandatory in schools, I think, that one. I know. I know. I think we've actually spoken to our school about possibly doing that one, so hopefully they will. That would be great. Um, well, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on board today. Um, it's been a pleasure sharing with you. I've really enjoyed uh, getting to ask some questions about my pets and, and hopefully they were relevant to other people about their pets as well. Uh, but also, you know, just finding out how you're incorporating this lifestyle for yourself, for your family and for your animals has been absolutely fascinating. So thank you so much. No worries, Brett. Thank you. And, uh, and you've got an Instagram account sharing some of this food and these recipes you make for your kids, not necessarily for your animals, but, it, but it's at Healthy Kids Eat Real Food. Uh, which I think is just a great little handle there. You might you might have to uh, create a second one at some stage of healthy animals eat real food, and that might be popular too, I reckon. Yeah, yeah maybe. And then I'd have to practice what I preach too, <laughs> just like you said. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. For everyone else, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.